All right, so um, we are going to look at uh, the worship ministry and we're going to go into the diverse explanation of what it really means to be a worshiper, um, what we are supposed to understand entirely about worship, you know. And um, I trust that by the end of this program, especially the week and month where we're studying about worship, it's going to transform a lot, you know, about what you understand uh, concerning the worship ministry. Well, it's going to give you access into um, places of worship where, you know, you can um, uh, see the glory of God like never before, you know. And so, yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to give you thanks and praise and glory for this time that we get to learn uh, how best we can serve you through your word. Help us to grow and be impacted by everything that we learn, that you may be glorified through our service and our ministry to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we're going to tackle is what should be our attitude in God's presence. What should be our attitude in God's presence. Now, unlike, you know, unlike other different uh, lectures that we have had that run for about an hour, these might be quite shorter because I want you to meditate on the information that you get and think about it and you know, look into the worship ministry that you carry on and begin to evaluate yourself and self-search and, you know, think about the things that we are sharing because um, this is not just information. I want you to, you know, be grounded in what you are learning because it's going to impact your worship ministry so greatly, okay? So, what should be our attitude in God's presence? That's the first thing we're going to look at. Now, one of the main themes of the Bible is worship, and uh, it's something of tremendous importance in the life of a believer. But most Christians do not have a clear grasp of the nature of worship. Uh, Usually when most churchgoers talk about worship, they are referring to their Sunday morning worship service. And they speak of hymns and choruses and, you know, congregations standing and singing the planned music for the day. But unfortunately, you know, I actually personally fear that in many of such churches, there is very little worship taking place. Now, if this is the only frame of reference on the subject for the average believer, then they haven't even begun to worship. You know, you can't think of the songs that are planned and rehearsed and so forth and think that that is worship. No, that's not how it works. Yeah. So we'll examine worship by looking beyond actions and behavior to where worship really takes place. Uh, and that is within the heart, okay? So we'll also define uh, concepts like praise, thanksgiving, and worship itself. And then we'll identify the things that uh, can hinder our worship, okay? Uh, but also we will describe the progression that will lead us step by step into the very presence of God, where we may hear His voice, and find rest in his arms, in his presence. Okay, so these are things that we're really going to get into and try to understand. Now, let's first look at our offering. Okay, our offering. When we come into God's presence, he requires that we bring him various gifts or sacrifices. And these include but are not limited to money and material processions. But on a higher level, Scripture reveals and speaks of various spiritual gifts or sacrifices that God requires His followers to bring Him. And these spiritual gifts are thanksgiving, 
praise and worship. Okay? Now we often use these terms interchangeably, but I personally compare them to the colors of the rainbow which are distinct and yet also blend into one another with no absolute lines of demarcation. Likewise, thanksgiving, praise and worship are distinct but they naturally blend into one another. Okay? Now, this is how I distinguish them personally. Thanksgiving uh, relates to God's goodness. Thanksgiving relates to God's goodness. Praise relates to God's greatness. Okay? And worship relates to God's holiness. Okay? It relates to God's holiness. I want to repeat it. Thanksgiving relates to God's goodness. Praise relates to God's greatness. And worship relates to God's holiness. Okay? Now, holiness is in a class by itself. And we'll look at that. It is the attribute of God that is most difficult for the human mind to comprehend because it has no parallel on earth. You can't compare it to anything on earth. But we can talk about the wisdom of God because we know wise people, you know. We can talk about the greatness of God because we know great people. We can talk about the power of God because we have seen demonstrations of great power or we know powerful people in authority. But apart from God, there is no earthly example of holiness. It is something unique to God and to those who have received it from Him. And I believe that worship relates directly to God's holiness. But because it is hard to understand His holiness, it can be hard to fully understand and enter into worship. Therefore, to me, worship is the most difficult of these three gifts or sacrifices for the believer to offer in a way that is acceptable to God. Thanksgiving and praise actually are primarily utterances of the mouth, but worship is primarily an attitude. Thus, it is important to have an understanding of these three, you know, if we are to be able to make them a part of our offering to God and not just stick to money and stick to all these things that we want to give consistently to God. Okay, so let's talk about praise. Okay, let's talk about praise. Now, praise runs like a golden thread through the entire Bible. From beginning to end, praise is a tunnel. Its origin is in heaven. It is the, you know, ceaseless occupation of all the glorious and eternal beings that inhabit heaven, where they enjoy close and uninterrupted access to God himself. Now, uninterrupted access calls for uninterrupted praise. Uninterrupted access calls for uninterrupted praise. Praise. Now, praise is also associated with the earth since its beginning, which is, um, we give an example of uh, Job chapter 38. You know, God challenged Job with a question there. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, when the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. That's Job 38 verses 4 and 7. You know, what is the, you know, essence here? There's a beautiful picture of the beginning of the earth being painted. But however, it was praise that sent our planet fast spinning on its celestial course. And it is the responsibility of God's people on the earth you know, to keep, um, 
to keep the planet in that essence and keep it in a praiseworthy atmosphere. Okay? And it has to do that until heaven and earth and no more. Now, praise is the appropriate way that we relate to God um, as king on his throne. Psalms chapter 22 and verses 3 it says, Yet thou art holy, O thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. So to relate with the king that sits on the throne, you have to walk in the atmosphere of praise. Hallelujah. Now, when combined with thanksgiving, praise gives us access to God. When you see the Bible in the book of Psalms, chapter 100 and verses 4, the psalmist says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So here there are two degrees of access. First, through God's gates and then through his courts. So the psalmist indicates that it is thanksgiving that brings us through the gates, but praise brings us into the courts. So this is also beautifully, you know, illustrated when you look in Isaiah, where the prophet said to God's people, Isaiah 60 verses 18 says, Violence will not be had again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders, but you'll call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So God dwells in a place of perfect peace and tranquility. So not only is there no violence or destruction, but there are not even the sounds of violence or destruction. But notice the way of access. All the gates are praise. In other words, the only way into the place of God's presence and dwelling is through praise. Without praise, we do not have access into the outer courts of God's presence. So you can't be in a worship atmosphere and think, well, I have access into the outer courts of God's presence without praise. It's not possible. You can't be grumbling in your heart over God didn't do this and God didn't come through in this and God and God and God. And you think you're getting access into the presence of God through praise. No, you need to have a heart that gives praise to God. But whether the storms are raging, you know, that he walks with you in the storm and he calms the winds. You know that whether you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter how hard it is, God has a purpose. The triangle of your faith shall produce patience. So basically you're in that atmosphere where you have full understanding and scope of what God requires of you and has assigned you to do. So without praise, you can have access to the outer courts of God's presence. This is not even the inner courts. It's not even the holy place. Just coming close to the presence of God without praise is not possible. Without thanksgiving is not possible. Okay? So that's about it concerning praise. So let's look at thanksgiving. Okay? Let's look at thanksgiving. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 28 um, of course, I'll add some emphasis there just to, you know, uh, help you see it better. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews 12, 28. You can look at your Bible for that. But um, in the King James Version, it says, Let us have grace. But when you look at the New International Version, it translates the same verse differently. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. So grace there is used in the essence of thanksgiving. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Okay, of course, I added some emphasis there. 
but actually each one is a correct translation in greek to have grace the key word is charis charis c-h-a-r-r-i-s is it's the same as saying thank you okay charis is the same as saying thank you so there's a direct connection between grace and thankfulness there's a direct you know um, connection between grace and thankfulness and unthankful person is a person who is outside the grace of god you cannot be unthankful and be found within the grace of god you can't you can't be unthankful and be found within the grace of god now three um of the world's romance languages those based on latin all retain a direct connection between grace and thankfulness for example in french it says grâce à dieu grâce à dieu grâce à dieu which means thanks to god okay thanks to god in italian the word for thank you is grazie grazie grace but with z i e okay um in spanish it is gracias gracias okay uh, so when we say grace before a meal we are really saying let us be thankful okay let us be thankful and, and, and i'm as i'm helping you you know look into this i hope you're taking it seriously because it's key and important for you to really understand this okay now there's a beautiful message in the book of psalms chapter 95 and verses 1 that the t- that uh, depicts you know uh, the progress into worship it begins with loud jubilant praise a lot louder than some churches would actually permit in our day to day but it says oh come let us sing to the lord let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation now this does not mean loud singing <laughs> shouting means shouting so if he says let us shout to the lord uh, the rock of our salvation is not saying sing through loud singing no it's saying shout like shout like shout 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 okay but of course today you know nema will come environmental police will come you're making a lot of noise and so forth you're affecting the neighborhood and blah 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 but sometimes you know we wish that every neighbor was born again so they would understand that when a shout is made it's being made to the rock of our salvation and that's why sometimes we encourage you to do evangelism so that one day when you're praying in tongues and you're making a lot of noise your neighbor won't come and say landlord hey landlord our neighbor is really making noise but Yeah that's so that's something about it. Yeah so it's amazing it says you know shout let's make a shout uh, joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Now I think that if there is one thing that is hard for God to accept it is half-hearted praise. Okay it's half-hearted praise. Scripture says great is the Lord 1 uh, Psalms 145 verses 3 great is the Lord and greatly to be praised greatly to be praised in fact if you're not prepared to praise god greatly don't do it at all okay worshipper if you are not prepared to praise god greatly please don't do it at all don't engage don't engage okay Our Psalms 95 verses 2 says let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and let us shout joyfully to him with sounds so if it goes to the realm of praise you have to shout you have to do it with all you have jump run scream lift up your hands and wave them and go crazy for god hallelujah if you ought to praise give him a praise like never before now 
I love something the woman of God, Johnita Bynum, mentioned. She says, if you don't understand my pain, you can never understand my praise. If you don't understand my pain, you can never understand my praise. So sometimes if you forget your pain, you cannot give a good praise. Okay, if you forget what you've been through, you cannot really do a good praise unto God. So do not forget your place of where God has brought you from and through and put you through situations that are unimaginable. But in the process of everything, you know, understand your place in God and his love for you. Now, let's again understand the two stages of access that are being revealed even in this verse. There is one, thanksgiving and praise, which means thanksgiving has to move together with praise. If you're not thankful, you cannot give a praise, okay? Now, there's no other way into the presence of God, okay? In fact, the next three verses give us the reason why we should praise and thank God. The Bible is quite very logical sometimes. It does not just ask us to thank and praise God. It tells us why we ought to do it now look at psalms 95 and verses 3 says for the lord is the great god and the great king above all gods so it says verses 2 let us come before his presence with thanksgiving let us shout joyfully to him in with psalms but when you look at verses 1 it says oh come let us sing to the lord let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation then verses 3 gives you the reason why for the lord is the great god and the great king above all gods so remember i mentioned that it is by praise that we acknowledge god's greatness so here the word great is used twice the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. So we acknowledge his greatness by loud, jubilant, and excited praise. Okay? We acknowledge the greatness of God by loud, jubilant, and excited praise. Okay? And then we can, from there, see him as the mighty creator when you look at psalms 95 verses 4 to 5 it says in his hand are the deep places of the earth the heights of the hills are his also the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land so we come to him thanking him praising him for the marvels of his creation but that is only our way of access it's our way of access it's only the way of access you know in verses 6 we come to uh, worship but praise and thanksgiving are really our way of approach into worship they are the ones that lead us into that realm of worship into that place of worship now notice, as soon as we come to worship, it's no longer an action, it's an attitude. Okay, let me show it to you. Psalms 95 verses 6, it says, Oh come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our Master. That is an attitude. There has to be a humility that rests upon you. There has to be a reverence that rests upon you. There has to be a fear that rests upon you. It's no longer like praise where it's the emotions and you have to express yourself and so forth in all ways and manner. But it's a place of an attitude when it gets to worship. Okay, It's a place of attitude. And so we're going to also explain worship briefly. Um, now, when you come into contact with or become aware of or have a revelation of the holiness of God, there is only one appropriate response, and that is worship. If you don't come into uh, awareness or a revelation of the holiness of God, you cannot really ever be in a place of worship. You can sing all you want and cry all you want, but if you haven't understood that, you're not yet in a place of worship. Okay? 
And of course, the Word of God helps you to see that. That's why we encourage you to read the Word so that you may come to understand and know this God that you worship. Okay? Now, without a revelation, uh, we cannot really have uh, true worship. We can have a song service, but we do not enter into worship until we have a revelation of God. Okay? Now, however, how do I say this to you that won't confuse you? Okay. However inadequate uh, it may be, when a song service has no revelation of the holiness of God, it cannot be worshipped. Okay? And the holiness of God is not to be explained. The holiness of God is not to be explained. It cannot be defined. It can only be revealed. We can't define the holiness of God. We can't explain it. It can only be revealed to someone who engages in that atmosphere of worship. So this is uh, very important because I think many Christians have the idea that uh, holiness is a set of rules about you know where you may go and what you may do and how you may talk and dress. But that has nothing to do with holiness completely. Paul was very uh, emphatic about that in the book of Colossians chapter 2 verses 20 to 23 it says therefore if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world why as though living in the world do you subject yourself uh, to regulations do not touch and do not taste and do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And this is profoundly true, actually. The more you focus on the things that you must do, the more power they have over you. You think to yourself, do not lose your temper. Whatever you do, do not lose your temper. And what is the next thing you do? You lose your temper, okay? Because you're focusing on the wrong thing. No wonder many people have decided that they want nothing to do with holiness. Okay, it's it's crazy. But when you look at Hebrews 12, um, verses 10, it speaks about the discipline that God as a father has for his children. It says, for they, our human fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us as uh, seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. So God chastens us that we may be partakers of his holiness. So holiness is not a set of do's and don'ts. God is not holy because he has a set of rules in front of him in order to check his own conduct. No, holiness um, rules have nothing to do with uh, biblical or divine holiness. So if you're in a place where you're thinking, I should do this, I should not do that, I should, I should, I should not, then you haven't really come to the full understanding or the grasp of God's holiness. Okay? Now, let's look at some attributes of God if we are going to explain holiness, okay? Um, Because this is the best way I can help you understand the holiness of God, okay? Now, holiness is the essence of what God is. Everything about God is holy. So, in order to have an understanding of holiness... We need to have an understanding of who God is and what he is like. Okay? So allow me therefore to really give you some of the attributes of God, what the Bible says God is with verses. Okay? And then those particular things that we're going to look at are the ones that are going to define to you what holiness 
or the holiness of God is. Okay. Now, one attribute uh, in First John chapter one verses five uh, is God is light. Okay, that is uh, the first attribute of God. God is light. First John chapter one verses five says, "This is the message which we have had." from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In him is no darkness at all. So God is light. He may, <laughs> he, he not only creates light or sends light forth, but he himself is light. Okay? He himself is light. Now, attribute number two. Attribute number one is God is light. Attribute number two, God is love. Okay, God is love. First John 4, 8 and 16. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So God is love. That's attribute number two. So God is both light and love. There is a tension between light and love, you know. Light can scare you, but, you know, love draws you, okay? There is that connotation between the two. Uh, light scares people because sometimes people walk in darkness and they walk in it because they know they're walking in darkness and they choose to walk in darkness because they want to maybe have pleasure and enjoy for a moment, uh, but for a moment and, you know, and so so light, you know, illuminates you and makes you see yourself in the mirror and say, I've really failed and fallen short of the grace of God and of the glory of God, but love draws you back. Love draws you back. A righteous man shall fall seven times, but the Lord picks him up every other time. So there's a place where light shows you your weakness, but love draws you, draws you and lifts you up. Okay. So I do uh, think that there is a simple our tension in our relationship with God. Uh, we want to draw close to Him, but we feel uncomfortable entering into that all-encompassing light. We feel like, well, we want to be in God, but there is this thing that we love to do that we don't want to let go of. There's this thing that we have gotten into, an atmosphere we've gotten into, and we feel like letting go of that, you know... <sighs> I feel I love this, but having to let go of this for the sake of the gospel, it's, it's crazy. Like that man who said, Master, what should I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And God and, and Jesus speaks to him and says, um, follow the Ten Commandments. He says, I've done it. I've, I've, I've been faithful in that. Then he says, okay, uh, sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And then he said, nope, 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 nope. Ah, heaven can wait. So the Bible says he walks away while he's sad. So sometimes we also have that. No, we come to the light. The light reveals to us what we ought to do to have the full revelation of God. But we don't want to let go. So love is that that draws us. Where we get to a place where we understand that where the treasure of a man is, there his heart is also. So your heart is drawn into God that you feel like you can let go of anything and you can walk into the true life of God. So that is a place that um, we understand also an attribute of God, that God is love. Okay, God is love. Then another thing, another attribute of God is that God is justice and judgment. Okay, now this is absolutely a part of his nature. In Deuteronomy, Moses emphasizes this, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 to 4, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, Ascribe greatness to your God. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So God is justice and judgment. Now, many people accuse God of injustice in their particular situations or circumstances. But the Bible says there is no injustice in God. He is totally just a God of truth. So there's no any form of injustice in God. If something feels unjust to you, it wasn't God. It wasn't God's hand. It wasn't God's involvement. 
So consider the words of Abraham actually in Genesis where he was pleading with the Lord about Sodom. Uh, Genesis 18 verses 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. For be it far from you, okay, shall not the judge of all the earth do right, okay? That is who God is, you know, he's the judge of all the earth and he always does right. There is no injustice, no inequality within him. We are often tempted to do what God, you know, uh, we're tempted to want to be like God and be just, and yet we're actually doing unjustly. But still, sometimes we tend to believe that God is unjust, but Scripture declares emphatically that this couldn't be farther from the truth. Okay, God is just and He's a righteous judge. So whatsoever decision he takes, it's just and it's judgment. It might be against you, but it's just and it's judgment. It might be painful, it's just and it's, it might be in favor of the person you are an adversary to. It's just and it's the correct judgment. Okay. Another attribute of God is that God is anger and wrath. Very key to know. God is anger and wrath. And this is something that, you know, contemporary Christianity hardly makes room for, but it is very important for you to know. Our God is a God of anger and wrath. Nahum, the prophet, gives a remarkable picture of this in Nahum chapter 1 and verses 2. It says, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Okay, the Lord is angry. He's a furious uh, God and he avenges himself. This is part of God's divine eternal nature. Otherwise, there wouldn't be hell for the devil. There wouldn't be punishment for those who reject Christ. So if we leave this part out, we are not presenting a true picture of God okay in fact the book of Revelation gives us a glimpse of God's judgment that will befall the Antichrist okay Revelations 14 9 to 11 says then a third angel followed him saying with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead on his hand or on his hand he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So anyone who is an adversary of God will experience the wrath and anger of God. That's part of his divine nature. We cannot ignore it. All right? Now, it's funny the Bible actually mentions in this verse that they are tormented in the presence of the Lamb. So God is observing their torment. Okay? It's not really the, you know, contemporary picture of what we see the gentle jesus you know very meek and mild and peaceful right but also know god you know his wrath and his anger he's the same one that weeps people in the temple he says you know uh, my temple shall be a temple shall be a house of prayer but you have turned it into you know a den of thieves and he whips them you know so god god is anger and wrath so it's a part of his divine nature. It's part of his eternal character. God is a judge. And some believe that God is far too merciful to impose eternal punishment on anybody. Mm-hmm. That is not scripture. Okay. And furthermore, it's very dangerous. When you look at Revelations 22 verses 18 to 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things... 
God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So unlike, you know, so unlike the picture that we have of God that, you know, he doesn't really care. It's okay, come boldly through the throne of grace. He will not, he will not. Hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul wouldn't have said that if he had no understanding of the wrath of God. Okay, so if anything is uh, clearly actually written in the book of Revelation, it is that there is eternal judgment. And we are reaching a stage in society where we are much kinder to the criminal than to the victim. You know, why? Because we do not want to be judgmental. You know, why? Um, and why don't we want to be judgmental? I believe it is because in our hearts we know that uh, if there is judgment for someone else, then there is judgment for us. But, you know, um, know that attribute of God and take it seriously. Another attribute of God is that God is mercy and loving kindness. God is mercy and loving kindness. The word in scripture that is translated as loving kindness means steadfast love. Now, in studying this, I have come to the conclusion that what it really means is the covenant-keeping faithfulness of God. It is God's faithfulness to his covenant or one of his greatest attributes, you know. In Psalms 51, verses 1, David was praying during a time of deep distress when his soul was hanging in the balance, and it was his prayer of repentance after his sin with Sheba and mud of Uriah, you know, had been uncovered. When that happened, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now, he says, according to your loving kindness, you know, that's a profound prayer. It's a reference to God's covenant-keeping faithfulness. David was basically saying, you have committed yourself to forgive if I meet the conditions. So I am appealing to you on that basis. You know, <laughs> you know, he, he understood, okay? You know, how important uh, it is to actually be able to approach God on the basis of who he is, okay? This idea actually occurs even in many Psalms when you read. You have Psalms 106 verses 1. It says, Praise the Lord or give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy, brackets, his loving kindness, his faithfulness to his covenant endures forever. So there are places where you have to engage God based on his attribute. I have failed, but God, you are mercy and loving kindness and there is no sin you cannot forgive. There's a place where you need to really approach God from his kindness and his attribute okay another attribute we're going to look at is god is grace god is grace hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need now there are two things in this passage that you cannot earn the first one is mercy and grace we firstly need mercy, but then we need grace. You know, grace cannot be earned. Uh, sometimes religious people have a real problem because they think they have to earn everything. Uh, consequently, they tend to turn down the grace of God. But it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may, what? Receive or obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we need mercy for the past and we need grace for the future. Can't repeat it. We need mercy for the past and we need grace for the future. It is only by God's grace that we can become the kind of people and live the kind of lives that he requires of us. It's only by grace that we can become the kind of people and live the kind of lives 
that he requires of us is not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. Okay? All right. Another attribute that we have to look at is that God is power. God is power. Now, the whole Bible is full of testimonies to God's power. Now, let's just look at one example in the Psalms. Psalms, 1, uh, Psalms 93, sorry. Psalms 93, verses 1 to 4. It says, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has guarded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifted up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Okay? Hallelujah. God is power. As many as believed him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. <laughs> Proverb righteous man avails so much power. Dynamis. So there's a lot of examples in scripture that speak about the power of God. Okay? So knowing these attributes, we have to really get back to understanding the holiness. Um, we have to understand that holiness is the total being of God. Okay? Now, let me um, just, um, you know, help summarize it for you, okay, by the seven attributes of God. The first attribute we saw is that God is light. The second, God is love. The third, God is justice and judgment. The fourth, God is anger and wrath. The fifth, God is mercy and loving kindness. The sixth, God is grace. And the seventh, God is power. Okay? So, I totally believe that God's holiness is all of that. It is the total being of God. Okay? Holy is the only word that is used three times of God in the same sentence. In both the Old and New Testament. When you look at Isaiah chapter 6 verses 4, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So basically saying, God of light, God of love, God of justice and judgment, God of anger and wrath, God of mercy and loving kindness, God of grace and God of power. The whole earth is full of your glory. Okay, so that word holy, holy, holy is the combination of the seven attributes of God in one. And when you look at Revelation, the living creatures and the elders fall down and cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. So I totally believe that there is significance in the threefold repetition. I think holy is the Father, holy is the Son, and holy is the Spirit. One stands for the Father, one stands for the Son, and one stands for the Spirit. And no one else is holy. God is unique in His holiness, and we can only understand or become partakers of holiness in so far as we relate to God. Okay? Worship is our response to the holiness of God. Again, when there is no revelation of holiness, there can be no worship. You can have a nice song service, you can have praise and thanksgiving, but you cannot have worship. For when we know the holiness of God in any measure whatsoever, the appropriate response is always worship. That's why sometimes you enter church and you've been in a place where you have really gone against God and the God of grace will be revealed to you. You'll think about the grace of God and you'll be provoked into worship. There are those, you know, who have been walking in darkness and you'll see the manifestation of God's light upon you and then you'll be drawn to worship. 
There are those who have been rejected and cast down and you'll feel, you know, you'll experience the love of God and the attribute of the love of God and then you'll be drawn into worship. So the attribute of God in any measure will draw you into worship. Philippians 4.8 Whatsoever is just and true and worthy and honest and praiseworthy, think upon these things. Think upon these things. So every time you come into a place of worship, there's an attribute of God that draws you in. There's an attribute of God that draws you in. Okay? So, when we know the holiness of God in any measure, okay, it will draw us to the appropriate response. And that is always worship. That's why now Psalms 100 verses 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So we thank God because we are grateful for what he has done. But when we praise him, we are acknowledging his greatness. But that is not the end. Okay, Many of us usually stop there. We thank Him for what He has done and we acknowledge His greatness. But some of us usually stop there. But we have entered into the courts. But <laughs> what are we there for? You know, what are we there to do in the courts of God? We are there to worship Him. So if we stop after a praise song, we have had a good time, but we haven't really found the heart and the purpose of God. There is something crying out for more. And we desire the presence of God. We yearn, you know, to be in that fellowship, in that, you know, that that amazing place in God. And so there's a yearning to be in direct contact with the living God and to offer him the only thing we have to offer, which is our worship. Okay? Okay. So we're... We are into that place where when you finish your thanksgiving and your praise don't end there. You know, worship God because at that place you now begin to see the revelation of the attributes of God that are personal to you. Okay? And when you're in that place, He will enable you to enter into that deeper presence and glory. Okay? Because, you know, it's only when we are truly in his presence that we can truly worship him amen i hope you've learned something about um about thanksgiving praise and worship we're just this is just the introduction then we're going to go deeper into understanding you know the worship ministry okay the worship ministry all right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and bless you for your faithfulness and kindness, for your mercy. We thank you because you are who you are and we adore you for who you are to us. As we continue to grow in knowledge, impact us so greatly. Let this spirit substance be sealed in our spirits and in our souls. May we never let go of this knowledge that you've imparted into us. May we have understanding thereof. May the understanding of this flood our minds with light and truth to the glory of your name. I bless you for you hear me when I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue in the next lesson to expound, you know, on the praise and on the worship ministry. And we're going to look at these things in a little more depth, but I I know something is happening in your understanding of this ministry that will transform you so greatly. The Lord bless you. You are loved. And shalom. See you in the next class.